I take God to be my chief and highest good. I take God the Son to be my Prince and Savior. I take God the Holy Spirit to be my teacher, guide, and comforter. I take the Word of God to be my rule in all my actions and the people of God to be my people under all conditions, I do hereby dedicate and devote to the Lord that all that I am, all that I have, and all I can do, and this I do deliberately, freely, and forever. Well, baptism does not wed us to Christ, but you could say it's a way of publicly declaring that we have been wedded to Christ. And so that's the subject for tonight, baptism. There are two ordinances that, that we partake in in the church, and that's baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are the only two ordinances we'll find in the New Testament that we're to observe in the church I heard a story about a young preacher out of, out of seminary, and he was kind of nervous, and, you know, and he was having his first baptismal service, at least on the baptizing end. And he was up in the baptistry, and, you know, and he had been thinking about the words that he was going to use while baptizing and, and being new to it all. He was thinking about the words that, that he would speak during the Lord's Supper, and he just kind of got things mixed up, and he said, now I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as he was immersing the new convert, he added, now drink ye all of it. Um, we're... We're, we're not going, I can see that happening, how funny. But um, we're not going to talk about both of these ordinances tonight, not the Lord's Supper, uh, but just baptism. But, but they both have, you know, symbolism in them as two ordinances that we do partake in. Um, there's so much symbolism in the Old Testament you know, as you think about the sacrifices, you think about the feast days and, and the things that, that went on in that day and time, the offerings, and as so many different kind of offerings, and there was a lot of symbolism that, that went on in, in some way. And every, every offering, every sacrifice, every feast day, every detail of these occasions pointed to Christ and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ in some way. Jesus Christ is all through the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, Israel's tabernacle in the wilderness uh, was made up of certain materials, and there, was, there were certain ways to go about uh, things there. And, and all of those things had meaning uh, pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ in some way or another. And in the same way... Our two ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper convey spiritual truths. Baptism is very important. You know, we, we say you don't, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Baptism is not part of salvation. You know, I can go to the hospitals and preach to people on their deathbeds and share the gospel with them, and they can receive the gospel, and though they can't be baptized, you know, they're going to heaven. But, you know, and that, those are good points to make to, to understand what salvation is. But 
but we're never to reduce the importance of baptism. Many people are doing that today. You know, one way we could go about to not lessen this doctrine of baptism is just to go back in history and consider those before us and how important baptism was to them. There were those children of God that were persecuted for the stand they took for scriptural baptism. You know, we, we got our name, Anabaptist, and, and it had a lot to do with the, you know, the stand that we took for baptism when there were, there were all of these unscriptural things about baptism going on. And so, and so there was the facing of these horrible doctrines of baptism in such a firm way. The, the doctrine of baptism is never to become of lesser importance to us. It's a very important matter, and it's never to become minor. And so as we look at that, maybe we'll be refreshed in that kind of way, and we'll be there by the end of the message. Maybe you're already there, and you're, you're passionate about this ordinance that, that we partake in, that we share in and have a passion for it. But baptism, first of all, let me say it has God for its author. And as we look in John 1 and 29, we, we read right here, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I am, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God." So we, we read here of this man of the Bible, John the Baptist. We shared him in Sunday school this morning. Uh, this man who was born uh, half a year before Jesus. And his mother was the cousin of Mary. And this was a unique man indeed. This man, John the Baptist, his attire was different. His garment was made out of camel's hair. His appetite was uniquely different. He ate locusts and honey. His atmosphere for preaching was different. He didn't preach in the temple like most. He preached out in the wilderness and he had a great following behind him. His accolades were absolutely different in that Jesus said he's the greatest of all men. He never performed a miracle, but he was faithful to the forerunning call that he had to preach Christ and give the message of the kingdom of God being at hand and to repent, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, Paul said of John the Baptist in Acts 19.4 that John the Baptist's message was to believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. If anybody is not understood on, on the fact that John the Baptist preached salvation, Paul lets us know there that he did. And it's God who has established baptism. We see an obvious authorizing of John the Baptist to be able to baptize. And, and look, this did not come from man. Man did not come up with baptism and incorporate it into the church. The church is not a business that man has put together by man's ideas. It comes from the Word of God. It's not an overlapping that we have baptism that, that came about from ceremony, ceremonies or, or, or uh, purifyings from the Old Testament. Baptism is a New Testament ordinance and it has been set up by God. Baptism has God for its author and baptism also has the Bible for its authority. Saints did not come up with the requirement for baptism. For, for a believer to be baptized. The scriptures are the authority on this for baptism to take place. It's not a plan or a process of man. J just like Noah and the building of the ark. You know, Noah was not a shipbuilder. This was not Noah's idea to build this ark. Noah didn't know how to build the ark. He, he built it according to the plan and the pattern of God that God set out for him. Noah not only walked with God, but Noah talked with God. And God showed him and told him how to build that ark. It was God's plan. Or you think about Moses and the tabernacle and, and the design of the tabernacle and the outer court and the holy place and the Holy of Holies and, and the Ark of the Covenant and the representation of God and, and where the showbread was and, and where the altar for the, for the burning of the, the sacrifices were. This was not something that Moses came up with. It was uh, according to, to pattern. That's what Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5 says. It says, He made all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So God has designed the ark. God designed the tabernacle. And it's after God's pattern that the church would carry out and have this ordinance of baptism. We must follow the Bible as our pattern for what we do as a church. If we do not... It is going to be chaos, and we're going to have to decide between a hundred different ways to do a thousand different things. And so the Bible must be our guide. Baptism has the Bible for its authority. The Bible must be the authority for baptism. And baptism has the church for its administrator of this ordinance. So as we consider this, we, you know, we started out and we considered John the Baptist, who obviously had the authority to baptize. 
if we were to get in the car and drive the distance that Jesus walked to particularly be baptized by John the Baptist, it would take us an hour to drive there. Give or take ten minutes, depending on people's foot on the pedal. Some people won't put a Jesus fish on the back of their car because of the way they drive. Anyway, you, you, but, but you think about that, that particular distance that, that Jesus went to be baptized of John. And the apostles did the same thing. So there was obviously an authority that was given to John the Baptist to baptize. I say the apostles, I could also say the first church. John the Baptist baptized the first church. I'll go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 28 as we talked about the first church being organized during Jesus' earthly ministry. He started His church and 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, and John the Baptist baptized them. But now... I'm saying that the administration for baptism belongs to the church to do. So there was a transition that has taken place that we see in the Word of God for the baptizing. It transitioned from John the Baptist to Christ's church being the administrator of baptism. In John chapter 3 and verse 30, John says of himself and says of Christ, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so the ministry he had as the forerunner of Christ, Christ comes on the scene now and his ministry starts to fade. And, and so what happens with the baptizing of souls? Well, that is given to the church to be the administrator of baptism now. In John chapter 4, verse 1, we read that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Not that Jesus was literally doing the baptizing, but those in the church, the apostles, were doing the baptizing. And, and so we see the transition from John the Baptist to the church. And so setting forth the pattern by the Scriptures, where we are now is only the church has the authority. Only the church is, can be the administrator of baptism. I know a young man and... I don't know him from a church, but I do know him from a Christian affiliation. And years ago, um, he and some guys had, had, a, had a, what would you call it? They just had a religious event, if you will. A religious event is, is not always positive. And, and in their little religious moment that they had... They all went down to the creek and they baptized one another. They weren't playing in the water. They, they had something religious on their mind and they went down and they baptized one another. And I don't know about some of the men. I knew all of the young men, but I know of one of the young men as of in recent years. And to this day, he claims that 
He's professed Christ as his Lord and Savior, and his baptism happened by his buddies administering it to him down there in the creek. And, and we would be surprised to hear all the stories that people have about baptism, and it's, and it's unscriptural. And this doctrine of baptism is extremely important. We need to be scriptural in all that we do. Jesus has commissioned the church to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's the church that has been commissioned. It's the church that is the administrator of baptism only. And baptism has only a Christian as an approved candidate for doing so. Several years back, there was a young man who came into the church and the initial conversation was real interesting with him. And I don't know what I had to do and, and, and I, think I, I think I got it to Tim and Corey, and uh, I want to say. And Tim and Corey took him in the corner and started talking to him and trying to help him out. And, and so he stayed for the service. And then he approached me after the service, and he wanted me to draw up a pool of water in the baptism and baptize him. I said, how about we start with your name? You know, who, who are you? And we started talking, and then I asked him why he wanted to be baptized, what his reason was, what it was going to do for him. And he told me, and I said, well, you're in the wrong place. We just don't even believe that that's what baptism is. So I'm not going to baptize you. And, and I didn't kick him to the curb. I, you know, I, it was a great opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him and to tell him what scriptural baptism was. But then he, you know, he was out the door and he was gone. And hey, the church reserves the right for certain candidates only to be baptized. We had another guest of the church years ago. And I thought she and I had a pretty good relationship. And and, uh, you know, we talked a lot, and, and, and she was asking Bible questions, which I loved, and I got to, you know, share with her and answer. And then she quit talking to me for a while. Everything changed. And, you know, Caleb Stone and I, we used to give her a ride to church, and, and we gave her a ride home. And, and so she quit talking to me, and I, I thought it was my driving, maybe, that she might have thought I wasn't being careful with my driving or something. And... And so time went on, and I was afraid to ask. I, I didn't ask. And finally, I, I don't remember if it was at the Villas Ministry on the way here, on the way home, or whatever, but, but she said, you hurt my feelings. And I said, okay, would you like to tell me why? She said, because you refused to baptize me. She said, why won't you baptize me? I said, I will baptize you, Sue. But as soon as you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, once you've trusted her, once you've trusted him, then, then I could, you know, and I'm thinking, I could, then I can take you and baptize you. And, and so uh, good news is a little while later, Sue did believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior, and then Pastor Stone baptized her. 
and a while later, she moved on to glory. The church, you know, does not have a dunking booth for a baptistry. It's not a game. I did hear, I didn't hear, I saw on YouTube, this little boy was going to be baptized, and the preacher's down in the water waiting, and that boy jumped, and he bundled up and did a cannonball and landed in the baptistry. And that preacher said, that's the last time that will ever happen. And, you know, make of that what you will. But, but baptism is not a game. There is a requirement before anyone is accepted to be baptized. And that is salvation. Salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ always comes before baptism. We just read in John chapter 4 verse 1 that disciples were baptized. That tells you that that these who were baptized were already Christians. Matthew 28, 19, in the Great Commission, which we read also, the evangelizing to the saving of souls is to take place first, and then after that, we're to baptize them, and then bring them in the church and to teach them. In Acts chapter 8, you can read in, in verses 1 through 13, and all through there, it will clearly tell us that those who have believed were baptized. The place I go to often in sharing with someone, because it's such clarity, we find also in Acts chapter 8 and verses 35 through 37. And that's where you will find the eunuch and Philip. And, and Philip was preaching Jesus. And, and here they're going down the way. And the eunuch looks out and he says, Here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. It just couldn't be more clear that someone must first be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then be baptized. But we have other references we can go to. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, it says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Anyone who has the person of the Holy Spirit living inside them is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't have one before or after the other. When you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. So, so we see uh, again that one must be a believer to be baptized. And then in, in Acts chapter 18 and verse 8, it says, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord, wow, I love this, with all his house. I ran into some dear Christian friends a while back, and the whole house was saved within about three weeks of one another. 
Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So we see believing always comes before baptism. The baptism of an infant is never, never, never okay. It's not okay. It's never, well, well they'll get baptized again later when they learn, learn more too. It's not okay. It's not scriptural to baptize an infant. The baptizing of an unbeliever is never to take place. It's, that's not something to draw them to the Lord. That's not something that is going to help them in any way whatsoever. You don't baptize an infant and you don't baptize an unbeliever. It's to no avail. But it's worse than that. It's disobedience to the Scriptures having lined us out on what baptism is and when you baptize and who you baptize. It's disobedience. It's against the Word of God. There's no right rhyme or reason that the church or, of course, anyone else has any right to baptize someone who is not a believer. It's not okay to baptize anyone else but someone who is already a Christian, someone who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So baptism has only a Christian for an approved candidate. Now if someone makes a false profession of faith and they're baptized, you know, that's, God's going to deal with that. God's going to deal with them. But it's only for a Christian to be baptized. Baptism, let's look at it as simply an act. What is baptism a picture of? Baptism is a picture of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. Baptism is an excellent picture of the gospel. The immersing of a believer pictures the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We couldn't get a better illustration for the gospel, for, for a, a, an outward picture of our inward faith. But by, but by immersing, going down in the water and coming back up. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You, you can't get that picture out of sprinkling. Not, not trying to pick, just telling the truth. You, you can't get that picture out of sprinkling. Man, I wish I would have brought a book with me. It, it, it says something about what anyone who sprinkles believes that the Bible says in certain words around the word baptize, and it, oh, I wish I could remember something about, it, it just means in or around or on in some way. And, uh, and I don't know, then the, then, then the next thing, the, bap, the, the Baptist is, who immerses is, uh, they're asking the Baptist for a cup of coffee, and, and he pours it in, around, and on, and all over the cup, and you know, to say that those words mean the same thing. Man, it's funny. I wish I'd have brought that book. And it's, it's just kind of picking, though. But bottom line, you, you can't have an accurate illustration 
of the gospel by way of sprinkling. It is absolutely being immersed in the water, under the water. So what is it a picture of? It's a picture of the gospel. What does baptism proclaim? Our faith in Jesus Christ and our willingness to follow Him. We read about this in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. It says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection... We shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I had the Bible on... uh, I had the the radio on a sermon of the Bible playing, and, and after the first few statements, I knew something was off. And then the person read those verses I just read and said, See how simple it is? The Christian life starts when you're baptized. So you're going to have people to reference those verses, and they're going to try to tell you that that's what that means. Simply defining that it's a revealing of our faith in God's power that we might live a life of victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism is not the beginning of the Christian life. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ begins the Christian life. Someone wanted to remember the date they were saved, and they asked the day when they were baptized, and said it was that day. That has troubled me because that is not the beginning of the Christian life. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What what does it proclaim? It proclaims our faith. What is the privilege of baptism? Entrance into the church. Entrance into the membership, the fellowship with God's people. I've probably talked about this before, but I saw Henry's family yesterday, and I've never had much family, and I was, I was sitting there just kind of talking maybe a little down about it to, to Billy, and then I said, but you know what? I, I have a big family here, the family of God in his house. With baptism, it, what, what does it proclaim? What is the privilege of baptism entrance into the membership of the Lord's church. The church offers the privilege as the administer to the believer to enter into the fellowship of the Lord's church. This is not something that the one baptized is going to do for the church. 
It's something that the church is going to do for the one baptized. The church is the administrator of it. And upon profession of faith, and then by baptism, there is entrance into the Lord's church. An outward expression of our inward faith as a statement, as an illustration to the church for the church to accept and receive the baptized believer into the membership. What a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to have the church as the administer of that, that we might enter into His church. No, nothing else can do it. Nothing else can do it at all. What is the prophecy of baptism? You know, it pictures the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has already happened. So, so what could we talk about as a prophecy for baptism? Well, when we drive by the cemeteries, we look out there and we think burial ground. We usually think burial ground. You know what? When you drive by the cemetery, child of God, you can look out there and say, that's a resurrection ground. And there's going to be a resurrection one day of all the saints of God. There's going to be a resurrection for the saved and unsaved. The unsaved are much later. But there's coming first a resurrection of the saints of God. So in considering that and what this pictures, it's speaking of the bodies of believers will one day be resurrected. If we're going to say that there is something prophetic that we can get a message out of concerning baptism, it's the bodily resurrection of believers one day. And, and there's something I want to say that's, that's real common that I just want to interject in here. And speaking of a bodily resurrection, and that is... If we have faith in a bodily resurrection, we ought to be laying our, having our bodies laid in the grave. And I've said it before, if Shelly turns me into a bucket of ashes and says I wanted it, I don't. I don't. I want to express my faith in a bodily resurrection. And that's coming one day. And so, and so that's what we all ought to do. And Shelly's going to have to spend the money one day. It's, it's, it's important. It's expressing our faith in that. Well, all of this to say of baptism is that it's for a believer immersed under the water by the church in obedience to the Lord's command. And, you know, you, sometimes you look through the church and you wonder who, you know, you, you believe everyone's, made a profession of faith and saved, or maybe you can't remember that, or not sure if the profession's real, but you look around and, and probably everyone here has been baptized. And, uh, but I don't know, maybe, there's a, maybe it's a good opportunity for, for those online that, because we have guests that, that listen online. And, and maybe there are, I, I have met two people in the last five or six years and they had never hardly been in church before, and they were both saved at home. One of them very recently saved at home, 
and, and they're burdened about being baptized, which is normal and which is good. But maybe there's a believer here listening online who has never been baptized. You profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but this doctrine of baptism is important. It's a, the first act of obedience that ought to take place after one professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you, you know, and I, I just had uh, some thoughts upon this subject and the experience that God has given me. And I think of those in the past, maybe it was camp, you know, and, and let's say there were, there were four, four made professions of faith at camp. And all of a sudden I have three of them beating down my office door and they want to be baptized before I even talk to them about it. But you know what comes on my mind? That fourth one. Where's that fourth one? So Brother Kenneth goes to that, to that one who's not beating his door down and, and asks them, and they say, well, I'm just shy. I'm just too shy to do that. Or, well, I've got to wait for my cousin's step-relative and in-law and uh, cousin to them to come into town in about six months before I get baptized. And I'm not saying I know all the ins and outs of that, but speaking from experience, most of the time, that person that hesitates or puts off being baptized has a problem with the profession of faith that they made. And they're not sure they made it. How, do you, how can you say that, Brother Kenneth? How do you say you think you might know that? Because the same people, the same kids, or it can be an adult, two or three years later... They're, they make a profession of faith at camp, and all of a sudden, they're not shy anymore. All of a sudden, they're not waiting for their relatives to come in from Antarctica for the baptism. And they're ready to be baptized right then. We, we have a, a tremendous preacher who preaches our winter camps, and it's uh, Brother Alan Gullick. And, and he grew up with, without a church, with, without Christianity in his family, uh, he doesn't have any family in heaven, according to his testimony. But, but as a teenager, he was taken to church, and not too much later, he, he trusted in Jesus. That's all he knew. He had never heard of baptism before. It had only been a couple of weeks that he'd been in church, and he was saved. And after he made a profession of faith, they said, the church said, can we, can we baptize you now? And he looked at them. He had never heard that word before. And he goes, can I? Can I be baptized? It, it's just something. I'm not saying it's something that he did. Hey, that's his testimony. And he was ready for what came next in that first act of obedience as a child of God. The doctrine of baptism, it's, it's, very, it's very important. Look back at how important it was to those before us. It's important that it's scriptural and that it's right. And if there is someone here who has never been baptized tonight and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we pray that though you put off that one act of obedience, we pray the, the best thing to do, it's, it's not call it quits because you didn't do it, best thing to do is, is to get ready to be baptized right now. I don't mean tonight, but the next possible chance we get, we'll baptize you. Or, or maybe you're here tonight and, and you've never been baptized because 
because you just haven't truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we pray that you would do that tonight. We're not, we're not going to have uh, instrument and song for an invitation. Your invitation will be when we, as we close service, even right now as I'm speaking and, and before we leave here, to, to come to me or, or several people in the church that they might be able to, to help you with that. But praise the Lord for, for His church, for the true doctrines of everything we do here that we find in the scriptures. And, and so, so praise the Lord for, for his baptism. I, I, th- I think back to mine, and you know, I made a false profession when I was younger. Preacher cornered me and got me to say something. And that, that I, it was no business I had uh, of, of going to talk about Jesus at all. And he really promoted it hard to me, and he baptized me before he sent me to Houston. And immediately when I was saved, I still didn't know much about the Bible when I was saved. Uh, Sixteen years went by and I had nothing to do with church. Um, but as soon as I was saved, the preacher acted like he, I was going to be troubled when he, when he came to me and said, now we have to rebaptize you. And I didn't know nothing, but I said, of course. Of course you do. Yeah, that first, baptiz- that first baptism didn't mean anything at all because I wasn't a believer. Well, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and close and uh, we have, we're, we're about halfway through. We, we still have halfway to go in this study, and I love it. I'm enjoying it. And um, God bless you all this evening. Pray for those in need of, in, in need of all of our prayers, and there's great need. And